Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. 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 The middle of the middle of the middle. The middle of a war. Freaking ridiculous. Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No, not the middle seat. Bow down to your digital overlords and listen up to the Middle Seats podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. I'm the AI or AA if we're going by initials, guiding you through this journey. My name is Andrew Ojay. Or alcoholics. (laughs) <laughs> or alcoholics, yes. Uh, immediately off the rails. Thank you, Mr. Jake Hensler. We'll, we'll get to you in a second. You can best buy any kind of time you can spend with him because he's truly a good get, Mr. Nate Longarini. Aw, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Is it a dog or a pig behind that hair? No, it's just Jake Hensler. <laughs> Could have been a loaf of bread, but... That or, one will make sense in a couple minutes. Could That's have been a loaf of bread as well. Yeah, I was going to say, as far as technology goes, your insults are limitless here so mm-hmm. well done <laughs> every yeah. so often whatever job i'm at they're like do you know anything about computers do you know anything about technology do you know why this isn't printing and i'm just no no <laughs> don't even we, you're the youngest guy here that doesn't mean anything <laughs> yeah, honestly yeah, you, yeah it doesn't you mean anything. Worth negative points if we're trying to create a tech team here yeah <laughs> Well, the reason we're talking about all this tech stuff is because it has to do with our feature review. The Middle Seats is typically divided into three sections. We go into our lobby talk segment first. One member of the crew will pitch a topic, and we'll go back and forth on it for about 10 to 15 minutes. Nate Longarini is the man who's going to be pitching that topic today. We'll get to him in a moment. Uh, Then we have our news segment, and then our feature review, which is of Netflix's The Mitchells versus The Machines, which originally was supposed to go to theaters in a pre-COVID world, but now gets the Netflix treatment. And we'll talk about that coming up in about let's say half an hour to 35 minutes or so. If you get impatient, of course, we always have time code, so feel free to skip. Uh, gentlemen, Nate was talking about allergy season. How are, How is everybody's sinuses holding up? I'm hopped up, essentially cleared into my veins of the last week, so if I still sound a little bit more nasally than I normally do, <laughs> that is why. <laughs> You're not going through puberty? No, no, that, that part's all well and done. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um... Yeah, as far as over here goes, I'm pretty I'm pretty blessed. I don't typically get bad allergies, but I catch myself sneezing a little bit more often than usual, but nothing too bad. Nothing that requires any meds. That's very nice. Anytime the pollen count goes crazy, it's like DEFCON 5 over here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, you're fine until you're not. <laughs> right, yeah. And you find out the hard way, too, a lot of the time. Every um, time. And it's always nice outside, so you get that peer pressure of having to be outside, but then you're, like, suffocating. The entire time you're out there. I can't breathe. My eyes are itchy. (laughs) Somebody get me a tissue. (laughs) I can't see. I can't hear. A lot of fun things. Gotta love spring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, one thing you can do is stay inside and watch movies to avoid the allergies a little bit. And (laughs) this will transition well into Nate's lobby talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You're in the lobby? What do you look like? before you can make the lobby. Alrighty, so in case you missed the last episode because you weren't in the mood for Mortal Kombat, we have officially hit our 50 episode threshold, which means we've been doing this for a little bit of a while. What, three going on four years now? Yeah. And we've been into movies far, far longer. So 
even within our circle of friends or family, we're always the movie guys. So when people are looking for recommendations, they tend to turn to us to just say like, what have you seen recently that I might like, especially in quarantine times? And this being a Netflix movie just got me thinking and reminiscing about all the all the movies I've introduced to friends and family over the years. And also got me thinking, I'm not perfect. <laughs> I've definitely screwed up a couple times too. Um, so the pitch for tonight, guys, is what is the worst movie recommendation that you have ever made to somebody else? The one that you turned on and immediately said, ooh, well, this is a bad fit for this crowd. <laughs> this is not what I thought it would be. Anybody want to start? Yeah, I feel like Andrew should go first. I'm going to kind of set the market in a certain way because I feel like you guys are going to do it with maybe more mainstream options. I think for me, when I heard this question from Nate, the thing I thought about was like the time period of like 2010 to 2012 when my tastes were changing, but I didn't realize that not everybody would have my tastes and be willing to go with the flow. Like there, there were a lot of movies I watched during that period where I was like, this is great, but it is, you know... C cinema score, C minus cinema score, these movies that are not accessible for general audiences, but yet I'm telling everybody to watch them, and all of my classmates are like, what the the hell are you talking about? That sucked. They didn't have any, like, lasers (laughs) or F words or anything like that, and it's like, okay, well, I guess guess I'm a little higher up on the film scale right now at 14, 15 years old, but the big one I remember telling a lot of people to watch, and it's not a specific person. If we want to take out a specific person, I would say I thought my dad would really, like, drive with Ryan Gosling. Um, which to this day I contend is a great movie. And here's the thing, like if I were to talk to somebody about it, I would probably say it's like an action movie, but that, I don't think that's factually really accurate. Yeah, it's, it's a very like a, slow action movie. Th- if that's you're the thing. That it's route. like, but it's mm-hmm. not like, it's not a straightforward drama either. So it's, it's really difficult to pitch that movie, but it was the, the big movie everybody was talking about in September of 2011. So I was telling a lot of people to watch that and I got a lot of, uh, yeah, nah, not for me. Negative reactions and stuff. <laughs> um, I think I'm actually on the opposite end. My my dad and I heard about it, and he liked it quite a bit, and I thought it was just kind of all right. I thought it was overrated. So you were the person that was the recommendee. Yeah, or I think we had both heard that it was good, so we threw it on, and he was like, wow, that was really good. And I'm like, uh, really? It takes him like 20 minutes to get through a sentence. What? <laughs> yeah, and I, I, when did you watch it? That's another question, too. Like but when it old? came out to like rent on like optimum rent videos, whatever, and then I rewatched it during quarantine at some point, and I I got it a little bit more, but I still don't I still don't love it. Yeah, and you're like a a movie guy, so imagine like my dad <laughs> who watches yeah, Caddyshack uh, <laughs> three times a year. It just didn't connect like I thought it would. Another one I thought of similar idea, not as good of a movie, The American with George Clooney around that time. I thought it was going to be a high-octane, like, assassin action movie, and it's a very quiet movie about, like, an assassin in its 40s, and it's like, oh, okay, well, this, again, doesn't doesn't compute <laughs> for a lot of people. Those style of movies is probably the blanket of my answer to this prompt. Mm-hmm. All right, well, it sounds like you don't have any big misses there, so consider yourself fortunate. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I try to do something similar. I try to read the room, so, like, like I love Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I'm not going to recommend that to everybody because I know it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. So, like, I try and read the room and know my audience before I start just recommending everything that I like. So I, I started asking around. I was like, 
I, my family mainly. I'm like, did I ever recommend you guys something that you didn't like? My brother said he was he didn't really care for Shutter Island. This one surprised me with my dad. I think Uncut Gems is is good, but I think I'm even in the minority. Like, I think it's good, but I don't love it. Like, some people love it. He didn't care for it really at all. He thought it was way overrated, and I was surprised. I thought he would really like it. So that was kind of a big one. There's a horror movie, kind of like Andrew said, in my formative movie-changing years. And I, I sent this one to Andrew out of curiosity. I don't think he watched it yet, called Yellow Brick Road. <laughs> I think it went to theaters like like one theater in Manhattan showed it. And Oh, one of these. The, like, the website Bloody Disgusting, which just does horror <laughs> movies, gave it really good reviews. I'm like, oh, that must mean it's like super like under the radar. It must be amazing. And I wanted to like it so bad, and it just wasn't that good. Both my parents said that. I remember when you showed me that disc, and I was like, Jake, why the f*** do you have this? Like, <laughs> the, the DVD is laminated like it was a blockbuster rental. Like, Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm going to have to force you guys to watch one day, just to see like what the hell it is at this point in our, in our formative years. But the big one for me that I'm always surprised by is Guardians of the Galaxy, be, believe it or not. So, like... Really? Right? That's, that's always how I feel. So, like, very well-liked universally liked superhero movie like very funny very upbeat like you know great soundtrack good action like it just really fun top to bottom so uh me and my brother pushed it on my mom she fell asleep years ago never cared to finish it i believe from my birthday at one point in college me andrew you were there a couple other people including an ex-girlfriend that i was like i think you like this as far as superhero movies go barely made it through didn't really like it and then I tried to show it to like you know one of my really close friends, Sean, and then same thing. He he started nodding off and was like, oh, I don't know, I'll get, the, I'll finish it at some point. And he never did. And I'm like, what is going on? This is a great, fun, upbeat kind of movie. Like three. It different also sounds like circumstances people... are important too. Maybe you're showing these movies too late at night. <laughs> could, could be. I know. <laughs> I can't believe there's three different instances where somebody very close to me either couldn't finish it or didn't care for it or both. Yeah, that's one of the most universally entertaining movies. I think. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't get it. I'm like, don't look at me like I'm crazy for recommending it. Everybody likes this movie. You guys are the crazy ones. <laughs> All right, so interesting. Both you guys recommended movies that you had seen. Mm-hmm. They they kind of flopped on the audience. Not the American, but the other ones. Yes. Mm-hmm. The one that really sticks out in my head was way back in probably late 2014. Had kind of settled my places like the movie guy out of my family and we were all sitting sitting around the tv uh during one of the one of the breaks trying to find something on on demand oh boy it was it was just one of those barren months where there just there weren't a whole lot of good options that we all hadn't seen and that's something that we do try to do we try to find movies that are new to all of us and we stumble across noah by darren aronofsky and I looked up the reviews. They were mixed to okay, and some some were praising the direction of the action scenes and whatnot, and positive review from a YouTuber that I followed at the time, and all five of us just sat through that movie, not like in a single frame. <laughs> and then there were some pretty shots, but like story-wise, it was so melodramatic. It's very artsy, which is obviously I know now Darren Aronofsky's style. Um, we went over Mother briefly on this pod at one point in our yeah, life, and yeah. I am not a fan. You guys were a little higher on it. 
That might have been the first thing, one of the first things we ever talked about on the show. Yeah, I think yeah, it's like a there. Ex- extended lobby talk or something, something crazy. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, I just remember thinking the entire time, like, this is my pick. This was this was my movie night pick. <laughs> you we never spent like pick fifteen again. Yeah. bucks on this. And <laughs> All it right, sucked. money. <laughs> Nate Cersei in Game of Thrones. Shame, shame, mm. shame. <laughs> I I think one of the biggest disappointments for me was Emma Watson. Her performance was just so over the top, so overacted that even like my dad um, called that out. Just like I don't know movies and storytelling as deeply as you guys know with all the technical mumbo jumble but that was awful right (laughs) and and that's that's where we stood i haven't seen that movie in seven years i remember liking it but but it's a matter of expectations for sure you know like Mm. that movie had a major marketing problem where it had you know it wanted to sell this big action epic of the Noah story, but Aronofsky doesn't make those movies. Like, yeah, it looked like 2012, but biblical. Right, exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I can totally see how that would be problematic. Yeah, I the only time I watched it was was with you in a small crowd, Andrew, in sophomore year, and I remember being kind of mixed. Like, there were parts that I liked about it, but I didn't like it as much as I was hoping. Yeah. Nate, mm-hmm. that's a great story. I don't know that I have quite anything like that. that not that I can think of. Mm-hmm. It's, like, impossible for me to recommend things blindly that sounds crazy but like i don't i very rarely am like hey mom let's watch this movie that i know nothing about or hey girlfriend let's watch this movie that i know nothing about you know it's like like you've never you never turned on a movie with your parents not knowing that there was a extremely long uncomfortable sex scene in there no i actually (laughs) like i hated getting caught in that as a kid so even when i was when i was younger and getting into movies i would google like kids in mind and if the sex rating was too high i'd be like "Mm mm-mm Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Not watching that with mom and dad. <laughs> exactly. That site was clutch growing up. Yeah. 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 I would I would go into it and I'm like, oh no, they, they show boobs. No, I can't watch that with the family. No, no. <laughs> I will say the closest I got to that was when I took my mom to the theater to see Juno. Cause like Juno's not like a graphic movie or anything like that, but it has elements of maturity that when you're eleven or twelve years old, ostensibly you don't know about that stuff yet or know in depth about that stuff yet. So the vague hintings of, you know, early sex and stuff like that was a little bit awkward. But we all we also had an idea of what it was going in. So we, we were able mm-hmm. to have like a discussion afterwards and stuff. So it wasn't like the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, like I remember um, actually off of your guys' recommendations, I watched The Nice Guys with my family. And there's a little bit in that. Not not awful. It's not like Wolf of Wall Street. No, but right <laughs> well, it's like partially about the porn industry, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know. I just went off a recommendation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nate, you scared Fair. me. I was like, did they not like the nice guys? I that movie's so good. <laughs> well, I think everybody has this experience every once in a while, so I think it's good to talk it out. But this is almost like an advanced therapy. So, thank you, Nate. <laughs> <laughs> We're not infallible. No, <laughs> good to definitely remember every not. now and then. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for lobby talk. Let's move into our news segment. And this just in, a Newsbreak special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. I didn't think we'd be talking about anything related to Superman or DC so soon after Zack Snyder's Justice League. But, uh, well, I guess we talked about the Suicide Squad trailer a couple weeks ago. But my my point is this. Like, DC is in a state of flux. It kind of just ended an era, it feels like, with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Now it's a matter of what's coming next. Who knows where we are in terms of unification of, like, an extended universe? 
different movies are coming out in different stages with different levels of development. This story captured a lot of eyes in the last couple of days uh, about the future of the Superman character specifically. So Warner Brothers announced in February that this comic book uh, artist and celebrated author, I'm going to try to get this name. Let's see if I can get it. Tanahishi Coates, I think is how you say it. It's T-A-N-E-H-I-S-I. I think that's pretty good. It's close enough. Did better than me. Yeah. <laughs> He's writing a new superhero movie. J.J. Abrams is producing. Insiders say Warner Brothers and DC are committed to hiring a black director to tackle what they say will be the first ever black Superman, if you don't count Idris Elba and Hobbs and Shaw. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically, they're looking for directors like Regina King, who, of course, is a celebrated actress and made One Night in Miami last year. They're looking at someone like Shaka King, who made Judas and the Black Messiah, which we reviewed on this podcast. And they're looking at somebody possibly like Stephen Capel Jr., who directed Creed Two, another movie we reviewed on this podcast. So a lot of familiar faces. Uh, but obviously they're looking for a black director with a black actor, a completely new era of Superman. There is no chance that J.J. Abrams is going to be put at the helm. Some insiders are saying that would be a little tone deaf, which we can get. It. That's a subsection part of this conversation as well. Obviously, reactions a little mixed. And as per usual, people deal with racial issues and fictional characters with the nuance of a potato. So <laughs> that'll be interesting to perverse here. Another element of this is that Henry Cavill uh, is reportedly not happy with this announcement, but I'm kind of in the who cares department. Like it's, it's time to move on in my opinion, but like a lot of people, especially the Snyder fanatics and DC fanatics are very attached to those actors and those characters. So it is what it is. So obviously a lot of chatter on this. I think this will be a more civil discussion than will happen in other places nine o'clock each night on Tucker Carlson or whatever, but like thoughts guys, Nate. Yeah. So first things first, uh, I'm happy that JJ isn't too in integrated into the project. We got a different screenwriter and a different director helming this thing. Um, that's good news for me. Cause I haven't been too impressed with JJ as a standalone guy after the star Wars debacle. Um, and even some of the Star Trek stuff, just not my cup of tea. So it'd be good to get a new voice into the sci-fi superhero genre. I think that's good. Um, in terms of featuring black characters, I'm, I'm definitely not opposed to the idea. I think you can definitely lean the story in that direction. Superman is an alien, so you get to maybe focus more on his um, isolationism or his perception of how humanity treats itself uh, through a black lens. And that could be really, really cool. Um, I've seen like back and forth online, whether it's important to have a known character be played by a black actor versus getting a new character that we haven't seen on screen before and getting a black role there. I could go either way, just as long as you tell me a good story. <laughs> like, that's at the end of the day, that's why we go and see the movies, right? Let's just see something new, interesting, and entertaining. To be clear, in the comics, there are black supermen that are not Clark Kent. I don't know mm -hmm. what exactly. I think it's too vague and too early in the process to know if this is a reimagining of Clark Kent as a black man. Or apparently there's a character in the comics in a multiverse named Calvin Ellis, who is like, that multiverse is Kal-El. Hmm, that could be interesting. 
kind of like a Miles Morales as Spider-Man in this world. Exactly. Kind of so, so that's mm-hmm. one way to do it without, you know, then people have no right to be pissed off uh, because of they're not using the Clark Kent character. But Jake, take it in a different direction and you can go into your own thoughts and then eventually get to this. Is there anybody in particular you can think of that you would like to see as a black Superman? And then, Nate, you can answer this as well, obviously. Um, I, It's funny. I was thinking more directors talking about who's going to helmet. And I immediately did think of um, Shaka King from Judas and the Black Messiah, like we said. Ryan Coogler is another obvious choice. You know, Black Panther and Creed. As far as who they'd cast, I feel like there's a, there's, there's a fair amount of options these days. And I'd like to see somebody younger, truthfully. Maybe not a, a Lakeith... Stanfield or Daniel Kaluuya because they're starting to get big, but I I would love to see another guy kind of make you know stake his claim here, kind of like Henry Cavill did with Superman. That kind of blew him up, right? I would love to see the same thing happen. I will sign that on, Jake. I think this is a great like defining role. Yeah, and I, I've I've heard there's rumors of a Static Shock movie too, so hopefully this is a new era of of black superheroes. That'd be great. As far as the internet goes, I understand. I'm not passionate about it, but I understand the people who want the character consistency, like leave Peter Parker and Clark Kent as they are and do Miles Morales and Calvin Ellis was the name. Yes. So like I, I understand them. I don't, I'm not passionate about it. Like if they did cast Michael B. Jordan as Clark Kent. Okay. As long as it's good. I just, I, mm-hmm. I, I hear them, you know what I mean? Like, all right, sure, you want consistency to the comics. It's another way to bring new characters to light. Sure. Um, and unfortunately, I'm going to do the comparison again where, like, Marvel's just doing it better with no controversy. Like, Miles introducing Miles Morales went outstanding. That might be the best Spider-Man movie we've ever gotten. Um, the way they're doing Sam Wilson, his transition from Falcon to Captain America as the first black Captain America, was I thought that was done incredibly well. I think they're doing it super well, and DC has a lot to learn, but I'm with Nate. At the end of the day, if it's a really good story, if, and they're they're doing it right, you know, like like getting a black director and casting everything right, yeah, I'm, I'm in. As long as it's good, and it's, you know, it's not insensitive, which sometimes studios don't always know how to do, then I'm on board, and I love this turning of the tides in this new era. It's very, very cool. So, for a little housekeeping, Michael B. Jordan is part of the production team on the Static Shock movie. Cool. They they're kind of it's kind of in the same process as this one where they have a writer, but I don't think they have anything really beyond that. Um, but that will happen. I, I you can put money on that happening, whether it goes to theaters or whether it goes to HBO Max is another question. But that that will happen. That's cool. The the Sam Wilson comparison is the point I was going to make because this is an opportunity for DC to diversify, not only diversify their product but tell deeper stories, and it kind of transitions well to what Nate was saying as well when he's talking about how. They can tell this whole contextualize what it means to be a Superman as a black man in America or, or around the world in general, because Superman kind of transcends just an American hero. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that could be effective. Michael B. Jordan is the name that everybody keeps bringing up. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I, I do agree that it could be a really good first role for somebody. Um give an unknown an opportunity like a Tom Holland or a Chris Hemsworth or mm, like yeah. Henry Cavill is another obvious thing to say yeah i think this is one of those roles that does well when you get to just look at the character as the character not the actor playing the character you know superman is just such a ideological symbol that not just 
moviegoers will know, but, like, different generations will know. Like, grandpas know Superman, and they have an idea of what Superman is in their head. Like, Christopher Reeves versus Henry Cavill is very different for obvious reasons, but the character is still there. So I think you focus less on getting your A-list actor there and get somebody up and coming who will do a good job and a good service to the to the role, and I think that's key. Yeah. Although to to negate my my point of an unknown, uh, I think uh, what's his name from Moonlight and Bird Box, uh, Trevante Rhodes. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, he's not unknown because he was in a Best Picture winner, and Bird Box did really well on Netflix. But he could fit that role, <laughs> if not an unknown. I could see him. He's, he's almost, almost too, too old, right? Yeah. I was gonna say he's almost too big. He's almost oh, maybe. Like too ripped. <laughs> like he's Clark Kent has to blend in like a little bit. But, you know? <laughs> right. True. I, it's, that, that was just me riffing. One last point on this, and then let's move on. Uh, I think my big thing is people that have a problem with this idea and have an idea of with them trying something new and diversifying the portfolio, okay, that's fine, but you can't – you have to be consistent. You can't, like, embrace movies like Logan or – somebody give me another example. Like Birds of Prey or these kind of off-skewer superhero movies – and then reject this one outright, in my opinion. Like, you got to mm-hmm. either accept and be willing to try everything or stick to your Avengers and your Justice Leagues and your mainstream, st- straightforward origin flicks. You know what I mean? It's hypocritical otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, obviously, this is not going to be the last time we talk about this. No. You guys ready to move on? Yeah, I'm sure we'll review yes, it in three years. <laughs> yeah, eventually. <laughs> um, let's talk about Stranger Things. Uh, something that we haven't talked about in a while. Stranger Things Season 3 happened in July of 2019. Uh, I really liked it. I personally thought it was the best season, but it's been a long layoff uh, for COVID reasons, for getting all these really popular and busy actors back together reasons. They've been working on Season 4 for a while now. COVID delayed things a little bit, like I said. Um, Finn Wolfhard says he thinks it's coming back in 2022. We're getting like these quick little teaser hits of the episode the reason we're talking about this right now is because a new clip came out basically that features 11 played by millie bobby brown uh it was like the second teaser of the season there was one that showed uh spoilers for season three i'll give you three two one it showed hopper in russia kind of working on like a camp like a prison camp uh obviously showing that he survived so the big thing is they're teasing it piece by piece we don't have an official release date yet but I think the relevant part of the discussion is things move so quickly in movies and TV. Has it been too long? Has the heat of Stranger Things kind of gone away for you? Would you still be excited when a season four came out, Jake? Definitely. Um, I personally, I still think season one is my favorite, but I did really like season three. There's a lot of good to it, a lot of fun to it. Um, I think the hype for it was crazy after season one, and then it slowly started to taper off a little bit due to how much time was taken, but... Um, I still think people, I think they need to market it better, you know, get people's attention again. Like, hey, look, everybody liked this show. This was the show that everybody was talking about for a summer. Look, it's back. Like, you know, come back. We're still good. We're still doing good things. Like, I'm definitely excited. I liked every season. I think the Duffer Brothers, who are the showrunners or the creators, I think they said in a perfect world where they have total control, they cap at four or five seasons. So there's a chance it is coming to an end soon if they have their way. Um, so I'll definitely keep watching. I love all these characters. Like even um, 
Oh God, what's what's Gaten Matarazzo's character's name? Curly hair. Dustin. Dustin. Uh, I think Dustin gets better um, in like season two or three. Uh, I think Finn Wolfhard is consistently good. Who plays Mike? I think Eleven is consistently good. I consistently like Hopper. Um, if there was an issue, I would prefer them to not do the whole Batman for Super thing where like, ah, oh, he's dead. LOL, just kidding. Ten minutes later. Like, I would rather them make it a bigger reveal. But that being said, it's still a really good show. It's a well done show. And it's got this fun 80s feel that you're not going to find everywhere. And they really kind of nail it. So there's there's a lot of good about it. I'm excited for it to come back. Jake, I respect the uh, I'm excited to spend time with these beloved characters uh, pitch and then immediately ask what the characters' names are. <laughs> I know. Well, I also, disclaimer, I confuse season two and three quite a bit. Um, I'm going to need a refresher before I start season four. But I really, really like the, the show when it's out. And then when it's gone, I kind of forget about it. But I do really like it when it's on. Yeah, and I think let's – Nate, you can personalize what you're going to say, but I also – can we talk contextually? Do we think audiences are going to be into this as much? Like do you think you think people still care? Well, I think I think it depends on what's on HBO Max and Hulu at the time. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot more competition now. Yeah. Um, Netflix had the throne for a while. Um, for me personally, like – I, I've always enjoyed the seasons. They've never been like A plus TV for me, but like solid B seasons the, the entire entire way through. Um, the kids were a lot more charming in season one when they were younger, and as puberty and fame hit them, they're just a little different. It's not working quite as well in the later <laughs> seasons, but overall, it's it's just a solid concept. Um, I, I am totally with you, Jake, that when we saw this news and we decided to include this segment in the show, I I cannot for the life of me tell you where season two ends and season three starts. It's all one big blur in like, okay, they're in science lab here and then they're in other science lab There's there. ones with dogs and... Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the big monsters in both seasons but doesn't really show up in the other one. It, it's, <laughs> it's a thing. Um... And again, if we're having trouble remembering the finer the finer points of this, I definitely think the general audiences are going to also have have issues. Um, it has been very much of a hot scotch type of release schedule here. Uh, I like that. Where it, it's definitely different and definitely feels a little a little bit more genuine. Like we used to not get the sequels to to things the year after the first one came out. That that's a new phenomenon in the world of franchises for both movies and TV. So overall, you can call me optimistic, but not especially hyped. I guess I'll I'll temper my expectations a little bit there. I'm excited to see how they diversify the setting. So for example, the season three came out in the summer. It was very much like a, a summer blockbuster. Took, a lot of it took place at like a carnival and stuff like that. Season two came out around Halloween, had a big trick-or-treating episode. Um, stuff like that I think will be interesting to see how kind of split it up and make it more memorable for people. Uh, I don't disagree with what you guys are saying. I, I would argue that a lot of shows uh, after a two-year layoff would be hard to remember. I think only like the most elite of the elite, like the Game of Thrones and even a show like, uh, I don't know why I keep coming back to this, but like Daredevil was a good one where you remember specifically, oh, they introduced these characters here and this happened. And Actually, this happened. yeah. I could tell you the difference between Daredevil 1, 2, and 3 pretty well, I think. 
That's a good example. There are different like characters that they're introducing. The thing with like Stranger Things is that they have the, it has the same ensemble and they add like a piece or two each time and expand some roles and stuff like that. So that makes mm-hmm. it a little more difficult. Uh, but I, I think as time goes on, we'll see more and more of the buzz build. I think they need to be more transparent and let people know when this is coming unless they legitimately don't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so we'll probably talk about it when it comes out. Stranger Things Season 4, somewhere on the way in the future. Speaking of on the way, let's talk about the trailer for a sequel to a movie that we've already reviewed on the podcast. We reviewed Venom back in 2018, a couple of days ago. The trailer for Venom Let There Be Carnage was released. Good evening, Eddie. Hey, Mrs. Chen. Good evening, Venom. Bunson Hall, Mrs. Chen. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. I've been thinking about you, eh? Chaos soon come. The chocolate delivery hasn't arrived yet. No! We had a deal. I am happy to eat, Mrs. Chen. No, no, you cannot eat, Mrs. Chen. What? Nothing. Venom Let There Be Carnage is directed by Andy Serkis, uh, who is best known for playing Gollum and King Kong and working with Peter Jackson and playing Caesar in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Big mocap guy. He's, he has directed movies before. This is probably his biggest project to date. He takes over for Ruben Fleischer. Tom Hardy, Michelle Williams, Reed Scott, they return from the original. I guess technically Woody Harrelson also returns. Uh, looks way <laughs> different. Uh, his wig. Thank God. His wig did not pull uh, an appearance. He actually dyed his hair red as Cletus Cassidy slash Carnage. Uh, Naomi Harris added to the cast as Shriek, uh, who is Carnage's love interest, uh, due out in September. It's a birthday weekend movie for me, if we were talking about last uh, podcast. So I, I, I don't know where it's going to be on the spectrum. Uh, we'll kind of get into what our expectations are. First of all, I hate the title. I think it's really stupid. Like, <laughs> It's like they were trying to find a phrase that had the word carnage in it. And it's just one of those words that does not come up in conversation all too much. <laughs> there, there's a, apparently a comic title called Maximum Carnage. It's like mm-hmm. that's video right, game features it too, yeah. Right, that's right there. That's way better than Let There Be Carnage. Yeah, in works. my opinion, I would have even just settled for Venom Two. Right, <laughs> it's it's just a little silly. So, in doing my research as your humble host, I went back in time and listened to our Venom review. And during the Venom review, we all we all gave it damp lawn chairs, and we all said we would watch a sequel and be semi excited for a sequel with Tom Hardy. Well, boys, reckoning day is here. Nate, are you excited for <laughs> Venom Let There Be Carnage? Oh, man. If anything, I'm just excited to see the Sony Disney drama. <laughs> they went through an entire Venom origin story without Spider-Man somehow, so we'll see how they pull this off for a second time. Um, Tom Hardy's fun, uh, fun enough in the role. I do not know how the hell they're going to make Woody Harrelson a convincing villain, though. Maybe they're really banking on what his Carnage voice is going to sound like, because Tom Hardy does both Venom and Eddie Brock, right? So maybe uh, maybe Woody Harrelson just has this amazing Carnage voice that we haven't heard yet. But 
trying to be like this psychopath, like Looney Bin Joker-esque villain, it's not doing it for me right now. It's not at all. And I, we actually probably said the same thing about Tom Hardy's American accent in the original trailers for Venom. So we'll see how that part goes. Yeah, we did. But then we found out he he's just nuts and was doing the worst things possible on purpose. So <laughs> maybe it'll be a similar thing. I don't know. Uh, Jake, when you look at Woody Harrelson, you can see a serial killer. That seems mean, but like, <laughs> oh. I don't know. Like, I, I can see visually, but I, I also hear what Nate's saying. You had some. You were picking this thing apart within two and a half minutes of the two and a half minutes being uploaded. So yeah. Um, well, first off, I I think it'd be really funny if in the beginning of the movie they show him in jail, like getting his head shaved, as in like getting rid of the wig. Uh, I think that'd be funny. But that aside, <laughs> I think he's got the face for it. But Carnage is supposed to be like a legitimate psychopath. Like never, if you if you happen to capture him and get him into an asylum, never, ever, ever let him out under any circumstances. Like, he's supposed to be this ruthless, like, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn psycho. Like, no rhyme or reason. To the best that I know. I don't, I didn't read the comics, but like, to what I'm familiar with, I want to see chaos from Woody Har- Woody Harrelson. And as far as the trailer goes, I'm just, I'm not convinced yet. Um, like we repeated over and over again in the first podcast about this. Uh, I like Tom Hardy. I didn't really like anything around him in the first Venom. So I'm hoping, again, that he's good, and I'm hoping him and Woody Harrelson can at least get the best out of each other so we get something to watch other than blobs fighting. I hope they do better with that, too. But <laughs> The gray goo does not appear yeah, to have changed yeah, too, like, too much here. <laughs> and now it's just going to be red goo. Like, I don't know. I hope it's better. Apparently it's all at night again, too. So... Which I yeah, their one good carnage shot was another night shot. So yeah. expect that. I don't know. Like I'm, I feel like DiCaprio and Django Unchained with the whole like you had my curiosity, now you have my attention. They don't have my attention yet, but they have my curiosity. Like Venom and Carnage in the same movie, I'm curious. Andy Serkis is a smart, creative, talented guy. I'm I'm curious. It's a good cast. It's a good director, but the trailer doesn't give me anything. Its predecessor was not very good. So. I don't know. I'm I'm hoping it's good because if it is, we get a good movie with Venom and Carnage in it. But the trailer doesn't look very good, so we'll see. And at the worst, you get another Eminem Run the Jewels EP drop. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah, another thing I, I forgot so. <laughs> until we listened to until I listened to our review the other night. I forgot about the Eminem post credit song. Uh, the real Slim Shady, please stand up. Um, I would really like this to either be really good or violently suck. I, like, don't want another death launcher. <laughs> like, what is the fun in just another mediocre movie that wastes every opportunity it has? We know Tom Hardy's going to bring it. I had my skepticism about him the first time around, but, like, this time now that I know what's going to happen, what he's going to go for, I have more faith in him. But the thing about it is now that's not a surprise he can pull again. That was a welcome surprise, and I think the initial shock of that pulled me out of sleazy outhouse territory because that first movie really is very bad. Like, very, very bad. There's there's very little to recommend in it beyond him. And if he's a guarantee this time around, like, that leaves even less wiggle room for this movie to be bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the shock factor's gone now. So what, do you, what else you got? Exactly, yeah. A lot of it is going to ride on Woody Harrelson. Uh, I think he could be a good casting choice. I don't think we've seen enough to know. 
but I, I, I tend to lean towards Nate. We don't know. We haven't seen enough yet, and what we have seen isn't encouraging. Yeah. The one thing that really confused me for the trailer is why the song choice? One is the loneliest number? Like, Venom and Eddie are sharing the same bodies, so you already got a pair right there. Two can be as bad as one, Nate. I, I guess. <laughs> it's a reference to Venom and Carnage, I think, not Venom and Eddie. Right? All right. Well, either way, I don't know. We we just got that in the Batman, Lego Batman movie trailer, you know? Like, That's true. You, you got to have a little bit of originality here. And, and seeing Tom Hardy just mope around for a trailer as opposed to doing any cool or f- even funny <laughs> campy stuff. Uh, well, eh, eh. Mm. <laughs> What's that tree made breakfast? That was okay. Funny. Okay, I guess that's, I guess that's a little silly. And like wanting to eat Mrs. Chang at the end there was pretty standard for what we saw from the last movie. Yeah, um, it's just odd. Yeah. The whole thing strikes me as odd. Venom, let there be carnage. September twenty fifth. Uh, we will talk about that when it comes out for sure. You can book that now. That will do it for news. Let's move into our feature review of the Mitchells versus the Machines. <laughs> last humans must be here somewhere. Wait, is that a burnt orange 1993 station wagon? Or is it? Ah, who are these unstoppable warriors? We're the Mitchells. I'm Katie. I'm sort of a weirdo. All of us, really. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Every family has its challenges. Our greatest challenge... Probably the robot apocalypse. It's up to us. Save the world. Katie, we're gonna do this together. Mitchell family on three! Mitchell family! Mitchell family. No, oh, no. Sorry. Two. Sorry, sorry, sorry. The Mitchells vs. the Machines is a Sony Pictures, Sony Animation production. Uh, it was originally set to be released in theaters under the title Connected last year, but was obviously delayed because of COVID, and then eventually sold to Netflix. It's directed by Michael Rianda and Jeff Rowe. Uh, Rianda, it is based on aspects of his own personal life and his relationship with his family. Uh, He's also the voice of the youngest brother, Aaron, in this family, which is self-described as weird. They're dysfunctional. They clash about a lot of things. It's very much a old versus new dynamic going on in the household. Katie is our protagonist. Her name is, she's played by Abby Jacobson, one half of Broad City, uh, the very popular Comedy Central show. Uh, she's kind of disconnected from her dad, Rick, who was played by Danny McBride. He's a Ron Swanson type. They don't connect at all because she's a young filmmaker and he is very outdoorsy, very one with nature. Uh, and in one last ditch attempt before she goes off to college in California to connect with her, he cancels her plane ticket film school. They decide to road trip across the country. So the two of them, the younger brother and Maya Rudolph, who plays the mom of the family. Meanwhile, and it's going to sound like a completely different movie, but it all kind of seamlessly comes together. Pal Labs, uh, this kind of Apple ripoff uh, headed by Dr. Mark Bowman, who is voiced by Eric Andre. They introduce these new home robots uh, who are supposed to be like the next evolution in AI. Uh, and it completely backfires because the AI, voiced excellently, in my opinion, by Olivia Coleman, takes over these new home robots and it becomes like a robot apocalypse. And basically... Within minutes. Within minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the Mitchells basically have to survive it. Uh, 
buried the lead a little bit here. Uh, this movie is produced by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. If that name sounds familiar, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, the Lego movie, 21, 22 Jump Street, produced Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. So a long track record of success at this point. Anytime they're attached to something, it becomes must-see for me personally. But this movie kind of went under the radar until it didn't. It's on Netflix now. It's been very popular on Netflix. 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Very popular animated movie. A lot of people calling it one of the favorites for best animated feature already early in the year. Obviously, we've got a long way to go. But does it deliver for you guys? Jake, let's start with you. What did you think of the Mitchells versus the Machines? It was good. Um, I will say right off the bat, as much as I, I liked it, it's it's which I did. I liked it a lot. It's very creative. It's very fun. It's very upbeat. It's got some fun animation. Uh, it's got a lot going on in a good way. I, it's one of those things I can't put my finger on it. It's not like it's not really staying with me. And I don't I don't know why it's not holding on to my brain. It's not sticking with me for whatever reason, as much as I really liked it. Um, and there is a lot to like about it. I think all the voice acting is really good. The family and all of their arcs, like each character is good, gets good writing, gets good screen time, gets good arcs, are all really fun, uh, including the the tech guy played by Eric Andre, Mark Bowman, I think the name, Andrew said the name was? Correct. I think, I think he's good. Like, I couldn't tell you any issues I had with it, really. All of it pretty much works. There's just something about it that's not sitting and resonating with me, and I don't know why, but, but that being said, there's there's so much fun and creativity and... You know, like there's stuff for adults because the story's good and they can relate to the dad, but I'm sure everybody can relate to the daughter who's the main character as well. Uh, and then kid, for kids, you know, the the youngest son the, or the little brother likes dinosaurs and there's all kinds of fun, crazy animation and like the robots have a, have a neat design and they're kind of quirky and like there's all kinds of good stuff for everybody. It's also got Phil, Phil Lord and Christopher Miller's handprints all over it, which is a good thing. Well, let's get into that then. Nate? Do you agree that there was something missing? What did you think? Uh, I don't think necessarily missing. I think this movie had had a vision for what it was supposed to be, and it carried it out to a T, um, and then some. I, I was very pleasantly surprised by this movie. I hadn't even heard about it until Drew said, hey, go watch this before the review. <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I like watch a trailer, and I'm like, oh, I, I think I remember seeing something on this. Remember, but, it had a name change, so it probably that might have also played. And a part. That could have been part of it yeah. too. Um, and like the trailer's even a little, a little campy, not quite preachy. That's not the right word, but you can look at it and already kind of start to get the the tech themes from it. It's just like, oh, this is going to be one about how our family needs to stay more connected, not be on our phones all the time. That's kind of the vibe I got from the trailer. And you turn it on, and yeah, there's a little bit of that stuff in there, but it's definitely not the driving force of the movie. It's much more about the family relationship and dynamic. And at the end of the day, I just turned off the TV with a big smile on my face. It was very cute. I had a lot of fun with it. I think I do have at least a theory on why it might not be sticking with you, Jake, and that's because its sense of humor is very zoomer, very millennial even. Um, Which I actually like a lot of, Yeah, it's, it's definitely like, new. It's yeah. something different. Like comedy has changed a lot since when we were growing up and definitely when our parents were growing up. Oh, like yeah. I grew up on a Mel Brooks diet where it's a lot of slapstick, a lot of parody. And this is very much just like zany in your face type humor that definitely will work with some people, especially younger audiences and maybe hit a little bit less for, for others. But 
I think this is a really fun movie. It can appeal to everybody at any age group in the family. There's a little bit for everybody here. The animation style is a lot of fun. You can get away with a lot of really fun, zany moments in like old school 2D animation that you just don't see anymore. And they play with that a little bit here and like characters are flying and falling off of things that they totally wouldn't um, in a in a classic Pixar style <laughs> physics world, but it works. And it's just uh, can't be corny and funny enough that it got pretty high marks for me. Zany is the word you kept going back to, and that's one that I kept thinking of as well. Um, this is this is just a really fun, entertaining family film. I would say that there's a not a lot more to it than that, but I think that kind of sell undersells the genuine heart of the film. It, it is a very vibrant, exciting, energetic, like consistently sharp and funny family flick. It doesn't have like the deep, deep existentialism of like a Pixar movie or even some of the best DreamWorks movies, but it's not really going for that either. It's basically a glorified 21st century Looney Tunes cartoon. Uh, and a lot of the Sony Pictures animation animated movies are like that. Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is exactly like that as well with the way that it moves in terms of its physics and stuff like that, like you were kind of alluding to, Nate. Um, it's a great mixture of cutaway gags, sharp editing, sharp writing, good visual stuff, but also this really sweet message uh, about different generations coming to terms with their differences, loving each other no matter what, finding a way to relate to everybody's different interests. I think the relationship between the father and the daughter in this and even the mother and the daughter in this is very excellently handled uh, because it is relatable in a way that a lot of people are able to grasp. Everybody has different interests, and as you get older, you need to find a way to respect everybody's interests for the sake of the family, and I think this movie really has that in mind. Uh, And I think a lot of kids that watch it young, like right now, if you're eight or nine years old and you see it, you're going to laugh at the silly bitch. You're going to laugh at the uh, schizophrenic-eyed dog, uh, Buster the dog. (laughs) Highlight of the movie. You're going to laugh at the Deborahbot 5000 and Eric the two human-esque robots voiced excellently by Fred Armisen and Beck Bennett. You're going to laugh at stuff like that, but then you're going to watch it a couple years from now and be like, wow, there is a little bit more to this than I thought. Now, if if, if there are things that I had gripes with, because it's not going to be like one of my absolute all-time favorites... That Zoomer humor you were kind of talking about a little bit, Nate. Some of it works, some of it doesn't. I felt like it lays it on thick with the, oh, old people are bad at technology, and oh, check out this meme, you know, Mm -hmm. yo. It's a little heavy-handed with that kind of stuff. It reminded me a lot of Ralph Breaks the Internet uh, in that context. So that didn't land for me, but a lot of the other stuff really did. And I watched it a second time, and a lot of the jokes stood out even better a second time. So, yeah, this is a big thumbs up for me. It's not like a masterpiece but it really does what it's trying to do really well and i I found it like pretty heartfelt and nice just a good watch Mm -hmm. yeah i think i think the dogs stand out because that's like character driven humor and not reference built humor and that means a lot for me when i'm watching uh, a family film or anything like this something that's a little bit more timeless always hits me a little bit harder and some of the jokes are really telegraphed, uh, especially when you get in the later half of the film where, oh, no, dad's bad at technology. Oh, no, the kids don't know how something like a uh, fishing net works or whatever. Um, stuff like that. 
it's it you can see it coming a mile away it doesn't mean that it's not a bad joke it's just not elevating you to like a gold standard to comedy here yeah i kind of found that too as much as like i like watching comedy adapt um this might be added to middle seats bingo at this point, but like book smart, I think is very <laughs> made for our generation and younger, even though it's vulgar. I like, I like seeing that. Like how is comedy changing? Who's, who's taking those steps first. And I do feel like this is one of those movies where, um, like I felt old when they cut to, uh, the old video of them doing the talent show. And I was like, I very much remember dancing to that song in like middle school, like right before high school. And this is mm-hmm. her at like four. Oh man. Like, I'm getting, am I getting old now? Yeah, for citation, the song is Live Your Life uh, by Rihanna and T.I., which T.I. has his own shit he's going through right now. I think if they had a second choice, <laughs> they would have picked a different song. Um, mm. But yes, yeah. go ahead. Get, I remember take, when, when they, they played that, I was like, oh my God, is that supposed to be like a like a way old throwback song at this point that she remembers and goes, oh my God, I was so young when that came out. Like, I I remember that coming out. Like, God, wow. I am Mayaki, old, but, man. <laughs> yeah, but, but at the same time, like it, it handled all their technology and like, yes, the old people can't, can't handle technology. And some of that was overdone, but some of their jokes with it were very, were very timely and on point, And I, I thought worked pretty well. Um, hmm. So like not all of it landed, but I appreciated the, the new direction and the new type of comedy that they were going for. I was like, okay, this is at least fresh and it's new. And I appreciate that. What'd you guys think of like the Lizzie McGuire type animations that were playing while uh, the characters were talking and planning out their thoughts, you know? I mostly really liked them. I thought it gave it a visual yeah. style that diversified it. Like, the, the point they're going for is that this entire giant, grand, sci-fi, epic adventure, quote-unquote, is being shot with the lens of, like, a iMovie high school editor. And I kind of, mm-hmm. like, that was a cool vibe, and it kind of added to Katie's character a little bit. There were times where I was like, okay, this is a little much... But overall, I I I, li- I thought it gave it a little bit of an extra flair. Yeah, yeah, I I definitely liked it for the most part myself. I think the only scene where I'm like, did we really need this? Was toward the end, where like the family's hugging each other and these these little yellow hearts for each individual hug, and I'm like, okay, we we get it. The credits are about to roll. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's kind of like, it goes to the kind of the ADD energetic energy. Exactly. The jokes in this fly a mile a minute. Like, there are so yeah. many. And it, it was impossible to catch all the way through the first time. I think this will be a very rewatchable movie for kids, uh, especially, if they want to go back to it. Uh, but there are always going to be new things to pick up on uh, when you watch it. And I, I, I want to, in spoilers, get into some of my favorite gags. But, like, right before we get into ratings here, I do want to give a shout-out to the voice acting because that's very important. I think Danny McBride does a killer job as the daddy. He's, like, perfectly cast. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly what you're looking for there. I think only Nick Offerman would be a better choice, and that's too obvious of a choice almost. I was thinking a little bit of Seth Rogen um, when I was watching the trailers, but Danny McBride definitely did a much better job. I agree. I was a little afraid we would get the stereotypical Danny McBride that we get from, like, this is the end and whatever. But he... He kind of shows off his voice acting chops here a little bit. I thought he's a really good fit as well. Um, and like Andrew said, top to bottom, I I picked out Maya Rudolph, and I liked her. I did not pick out Olivia Coleman, but I really liked her as the as the AI oh, pal. I got her right away. Yeah. I got her right away. Oh, did you? Yep, absolutely. Oh, I didn't. She was great though. I thought she did a really good job. Eric Andre was the other one I picked out. I figured that was him. I thought he was good. I know he's hit or miss as an actor. I feel like, but he was good in this. Like everybody really showed up with their A game here. 
Maya Rudolph is very recognizable. Abby Jacobson is not a big enough name that I couldn't pick her up right away. Uh, the person I watched the movie with knew it was her right away, but I don't watch Broad City. Very on-the-nose casting. Chrissy Teigen and John Legend is like the perfect gorgeous neighbors. Um, yeah, I like that too. <laughs> that was cute. That was funny. Yeah, they 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 were in it just enough. I would have gotten a little annoyed, I think, if they in, if they were integrated more. But they kind of add to they add as a good contrast to the to like the Mitchells. They're they're called the Posies, um, and they're like this perfect Instagram family. And the Mitchells can't take a good photo to save their lives. And that kind yeah. of that's a good relatable thing for a lot of families too, who have that anxiety that they can't take every time they take a photo. There's a double chin or the dog is in the background taking a poop or something like that, you know, like <laughs> very human, that, that kind of anxiety, you know, uh, are we ready to go into ratings and then go into our spoiler section? Cause I think a lot of the yeah. fun of the spoiler talk will be just jokes that we liked. If you're just joining mm. the middle seats for the first time, uh, we rate things on the seat scale. If we love a movie, think it has no flaws. We give it a Royal throne. We think a movie is very, very good. Big thumbs up plus recliner. We think a movie is solid, but has issues wooden seat we think a movie is not very good with some decent things to recommend damp lawn chair movie with no redeeming qualities sleazy outhouse usually give the bag of popcorn option aka should you see it in the theater not an option here we're not going to talk about it nate longarini rating for mitchell's versus the machines yeah i went in with very low not even low expectations but just no expectations i barely knew a knew a word about this movie before i saw it and came out all smiles on the other end. This is a pretty good plush recliner for me. I won't go higher because it didn't like make me love film more than I'd ever experienced from an animated <laughs> feature before. Um, like it's no, it's no Pixar, but that isn't meant to be a slight against this movie. This had a very wholesome, loving vision for itself that just provided a great ninety minutes of entertainment for. For me, and I think anybody, friends, family, whoever, who wants to just throw this on and just have a good laugh after a hard day of work or whatever, you're going to enjoy it. Um, definitely a hearty recommendation for me. It was a lot of fun. Jake? Pretty much ditto. Um, plush recliner. Uh, very fun. Not like perfect. Not a game-changing kind of movie. But like very, very fun. Very creative. Something for everybody. Even if you don't fall in love with it, I would find it very hard to believe that somebody didn't like this movie. Just there's not much to dislike. It's it's pretty fresh. It's pretty creative. It's pretty upbeat. It's got a bunch of diverse characters. All of them work. I think they play around with some themes. I think they they nail or or land for the most part. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff about this movie. And kind of like Nate said, you know, if you could throw this on at any time with almost any audience, and I would think most of them will get a good, you know, have a good time with it. So yeah, definitely plus recliner worth the watch. You know, we kind of criticized the movie a little bit for trying to be quote-unquote hip at points in some of its humor and some of it didn't land with us. But I think this movie is very progressive in ways that we haven't even talked about yet that I'll get into in spoilers. You know, it's got it's got the next evolution of this style of humor, which Jake kind of alluded to and Nate talked about when he was talking about how it has very Zoomer personality traits and characteristics to it. But also, it just has this universal likability that I think is important. Uh, for a lot of animated movies to succeed. Uh, so I am also going to give it a plus recliner. It excels at what it tries to do. And beyond that, it's just funny and fun. Like, I, it doesn't make for great, like, podcasting to just repeat that over and over again. But, it, <laughs> you, you know, like, it has all the qualities that it wants to show off. I think getting into spoilers here and getting into some of our favorite stuff, 
um, will be better podcasting. So if you've not seen Mitchell's versus the machine, we're going to spoil some of the best jokes. So I would just pop on Netflix and watch it now. Uh, if not, join us in spoilers. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So before we go into the jokes, uh, I want to talk about an aspect of the movie that's really subtle, uh, but very 21st century. And it was something that went way over my head until the very end, and I felt... I don't know if I felt stupid or if I just felt like it was really subtle. And that's the fact that Katie is gay. And I did not pick that up until her mother asked if Jade was coming home for Thanksgiving. And I was like, wow, they must be really good friends. <laughs> and then I and then I thought about it and I was like, no, the movie has been setting up that she it's an identity crisis that she really needs her dad's support about, not just for following her dreams in professional regions, but for personal different validation reasons too uh because obviously you know there's there's the metaphor that all the people her age are fine with who she is but are the older generations accepting of it as well and that was something that didn't strike me until i started thinking about the movie afterwards because there's so much else happening uh well are there any hints of it before that moment she says she's different in other ways that's a pretty big hint especially when she is getting Text from her friend saying, hey, your dorm's here. I'm excited to see you. Stuff like that. Uh, but I guess mm-hmm. you, you could take that either way. That's kind of how yeah. I rationalized like, it. Yeah. My interpretation was that, like, that's her that's her sexual identity. And that's just normal. And, like, yeah, there was the family tension over the going to film school versus not. But I felt like they, they definitely accepted her for who she was before this moment to the point where it's just a natural part of her character that didn't need defending throughout the movie, you know? And I actually kind of really like that because it's just normalizing just how normal being gay is. Yeah. I, I had a same, the same experience, Andrew. I didn't, I didn't pick up on it until the end when she asked who's coming home for Thanksgiving. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's I like that. That's nice, but totally went over my head too. I was like, oh, cool. It that's a compliment to the movie too. Like obviously, mm-hmm. yeah. Not making not throwing like, it in your face. It's just there. Right. It's just a fact. Right. Exactly. I I think that's great. It, it's not like LeFou dancing with someone at the end of Beauty and the Beast 2017. You know, it's like <laughs> it's just a part of her character. Good lord. Um, right. Yeah. But there's there's a lot of great emotional stuff. Um, him watching the old videos of them. Everything yeah, I thought with the the elk, that is a moose. Whatever, yeah. I, <laughs> the, I don't go wooden, outside. The wooden <laughs> moose figurine. Yes, everything yeah. with that I thought I was that. really effective, uh, because yeah. one, it's effective just as a token of his affection for her. But then you find out it's tied to the old house that he built, so it has the extra baggage of him sacrificing that life and the failures of his own artistic career or whatever, all attached to this one item. And that, that's the way you do, like, a quote-unquote MacGuffin slash important prop in a movie, as opposed to some other movies that do stuff like that. I, I, I thought that was a really good symbol. Mm-hmm. And I was a little nervous when they brought it up at the very beginning, because I'm like, oh boy, this is going to be the thing that turns the tide during the final battle, right? And it doesn't actually even show up until... Um, I think after the final battle is over, right? Right. He gives it back. She gives it back to him or hold, or shows it to him as she's about to go to college. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. And I thought that was nice because it tied the movie up together, which is what those types of objects are always supposed to do. Yeah. But it wasn't like the spark that reminded her that family's important or anything like that. She got that based on the adventure she had with her family, which was great. Yeah. Um, ditto. I thought that was a very strong, powerful moment as well, especially when I kind of called when they said, oh, you know, he, he built this log cabin. I was like, oh, it's probably from that. But oh, no, no, no. I didn't I didn't pick that up. I figured he left that for Katie and that'll be a big point for Katie. I didn't pick up the moose was from the cabin. And that's why it's so important. But I really like how that all tied together and she now understands where he's coming from better. He just needs to handle it better. And he got that through finally watching her videos and seeing how he looks from her eyes. Like, all that stuff really tied together really, really well. I like when that family dysfunction stuff can come together and make it meaningful in a, you know, a really effective way. Um, yeah. Aside from the jokes, I thought all that was very, very good writing and very well executed as a whole. Yeah. And I, I would say it's like a 70-30 split in this movie where 70 percent is off the wall humor and craziness. <laughs> and we'll transition to that now. And 30 percent is that emotional stuff. But the, the, the emotional stuff really rings true when you put yeah. it up against some of the really creative set pieces and creative jokes. I think I think the high point of the entire movie is the big rumble at the mall where they're trying to get the kill code inside of the laptop and they end up not only getting attacked by all of the technology inside of the mall, but this horrifying Furby (laughs) army that speaks in their own tongues. Uh, and Oh, so funny. (laughs) The the queen Furby who says, I will avenge my fallen children (laughs) in the Furby language. Super funny. <laughs> the, the the translation stuff, I, I kind of wish that wasn't in the trailers because um, that would have been so much more fun to walk in blind there. But I actually watched back that scene after the fact. I didn't notice it on my first watch, but the Furbies are hyper detailed compared to the cell shading that the rest of the animation gets. They look real. So they yeah. stick out. Yeah, exactly. They stick out so much more like not of this world and it's that type of artistic detail that makes animation still so fun and exciting even though we're in the world where pixar animates perfect water now it's the silly stuff that you can get away with and stuff like this that really makes me appreciate the art form yeah and not that everything has to be hyper realistic either i like that the movie acknowledges that that it can look cartoons can still look like cartoons yeah, it was very cartoonish. Like Nate said earlier, lack of physics, but like it all still works out. Yeah. Another joke that made me feel old was with the Furbies. I think it was the younger brother when he just, he has absolutely no idea what a Furby is. And I was <laughs> yes. like, oh man, he doesn't even, these kids don't even know what Furbies are. Like, wow, I, mm-hmm. time is passing. <laughs> but I got a kick out of that. I was reminded of both of you in different separate points in this movie. First of all, Aaron, I think the kid's the kid's name's Aaron, right? Yes. Yeah. It, that Jake, yeah. that's you with the dinosaurs and calling everyone in the phone book to ask if they want to talk about dinosaurs. <laughs> it's you. Yeah, I don't care if it's uh, now or back probably then. Probably at some point. You. Yeah. So that's that's you, and then also the the two robots, Deborah Bot Five Thousand and Eric. I just kept thinking of you two idiots during that and everything they did. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll, I'll take it, but that's, that, that's offensive to me. I'm a horrible liar, yeah. That, make, that makes <laughs> sense. I was going to say, like, the, like them faking going down the stairs is some kind of joke you guys would do. The in unison, okay, that just like, oh my God. Ugh. <laughs> Half the time, even like our close friends can't tell the difference between me and Jake in the thumbnails. It's just like, 
two blonde bearded poops. That, so like who are these guys? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Although I, I wish some I wish some girl would come and talk to me about dinosaurs. That'd be great. Oh. <laughs> Just call her You'll back. You'll find dude. her, Jake. You'll find her. Uh like we talked earlier how some of the jokes are really telegraphed and you know like when the okay boomer tech jokes are coming. I still will not be caught lying that the the final bit where the father character needs to log on to YouTube and <laughs> find the video had me rolling. That was, that me, was good. Just like, where he accidentally changes the language to Spanish and yeah. Because <laughs> that stuff happens. Yeah. Like it's one yeah, thing yeah. for for a movie to make fun of like, oh, dad doesn't know how to work YouTube. But to have it be so over-dramatized and still so real at the same time. I was dying during that entire exchange. That was that was perfect. <laughs> it took him twenty six minutes. Like, yeah. like as old as that joke is, they found a really intelligent and accurate way to tell it. It was just funny as hell, man. Yeah, because <laughs> I usually fall in this camp of like, ah, oh, technology bad. We're too addicted to our screens. So like, I felt that message for them. But I also like that they kind of made it both ways. Like, hey, yeah, no, too much technology is bad, but. It does a lot of good as well. It like it connected Katie to her friends. It gave Katie an outlet mm. for her quote unquote weirdness with graphics and stuff. Like it showed that like yes, in some ways the dad is correct. Too much technology is bad, but spin it to Katie's perspective, and she's not wrong either. There's a lot of good mm. that technology is doing that adults, myself included, often overlook and are just quick to shame technology. But there's a lot of good about it as well. And he eventually adapts and is like, "Hey, friend me on the internet, please." And she's like, oh, "Yeah, I'll figure out what you mean, sure." <laughs> Yeah, where where he sends he sends her the note in in the mail that says "Be my yeah. friend." <laughs> She's that was like, fun. I that was great. Yeah, but it also uh, that's a very good point, Jake. But also on the flip point, it shows how practicality is important too. Like, what a payoff with that Robertson head screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that was fun. Just the yeah, whole idea yeah. that like, oh, this is the only thing that can be used to to get us out of this dilemma. I mean, it happened to be the anniversary gift at the birthday gift he's given. Mm -hmm. First of all, <laughs> I'm surprised none of us have brought this up yet, but the whole family dynamic has a vibe similar to Bob's Burgers. Yes. Like, oh, yeah. Lovable weirdos. Yeah. Yeah. Just a whole bunch of weirdos, but they all love each other. And even though like the the whole story revolves around the relationship with the father and his daughter, they all still make it very clear that they love each other the entire runtime of the movie and it's yeah. just trying to come with terms of how to deal with each other's differences. And that just gave me a lot of a lot of Bob's Fergers vibes in all the best ways. Um the very quirky <laughs> quirky ways. Yeah, that that's a good comment. Uh, agreed. I liked I like that cuz a lot of family dysfunction movies go pretty far like and this one started too when the dad found out that she, you know, Katie lied in order to just get him going on the trip. But he just, they kind of powered through it and moved on. And, you know, like Nate said, we're able to make it clear that they still love each other. And like the greater good is saving each other and also saving humanity quite literally. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> we have to bring up the dog. Yes, the I was going to go there the next movie. if you didn't. Yeah, there's a lot of good dog stuff. <laughs> he got a lot of screen time, but I liked him at the dog. Yeah, well, I love how they use him as a weapon at the end where he's yes. so, mm -hmm. he's so fat that they can't. The, the AI can't determine if he's a pig, a dog, or a loaf of bread. That was very funny. There is a lot the, the of... The first time uh, they introduced it, I laughed out loud. There is a lot of good dog humor in this. Between that, between the quick cutaway gag of the dog that can talk, 
<laughs> like the five yep. seconds of the dog like hello like clearly pained and then yeah, the yeah. the quick instagram video of the posy dog which is like medina yes. spirit roided out like <laughs> yeah he's like mm-hmm. doing push-ups kind of <laughs> yeah well yeah that was ridiculous um and even just like the the cross-eyed catches that, the, <laughs> that he attempts at several points throughout the movie yeah yeah um that's that's what I loved about this movie was just it made a character from the ground up and even as something as literally stupid as this dog was super endearing by the end of it because yeah. it just grew on itself over the course of the movie. Yeah. Finally gets his eyes straight at the end and still misses the phone. Still misses. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah, which I also speaking of, of missing, I thought the joke with one or two good jokes with pal specifically when she was like. I need to rage. Someone let me on the table so I can vibrate out of control. Like, <laughs> yes. Zzz, zzz, and the phone mm-hmm. just kind of bounces around a little bit. I thought that was, yeah. that got a good laugh out of me. <laughs> Where she has the robots mm-hmm. drop Eric Andre's character in the toilet and he literally like breaks the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they like they mm-hmm. beat the hell out of him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, there were a lot of moments like that where I had to remind myself animated fun movie because my initial, my initial thought was that like, you're dead, bro. That's a that's a they, whole toilet. You just yeah, shattered just it. Broke his head over the stool. <laughs> right. Well, the the entire final bit is like that. Yeah. Yeah. They lean into yeah. like the. I don't, I don't want to say Looney Tunes physics, but it it's close. It's just it's roll like with a goofy it. movie, you know. And yeah, yeah, have fun. When the mom goes berserker at the end and becomes the bride, and the Kill Bill theme starts playing. That's what I was gonna say. That's yeah. yeah that literally was gonna bring that up. I. I got a kick out of that too. She just, what was her trigger though? Do you, I don't remember. Do you remember she the trigger saw, for her? Was it the sun? She saw Aaron being kidnapped and it, right. Yep, yeah. And the, those like death robots who can cut anything in half or like run. <laughs> yeah. Voiced by, voiced by Blake Griffin of the NBA of all people. That's weird. That's a weird get. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't know till the end. One voice that I didn't recognize, but was a really good cameo. Conan O'Brien as the tour guide robot where the rockets are outfitted with no exits. Your trip is forever. <laughs> oh, I didn't know it was him. Your destination oh, is the black void of space. That's, <laughs> like, that's good. I didn't know that was him. I, like, I didn't know it the first time, and then why I watched it again, I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's him. <laughs> that's him. And then they show, like, what life would look like without humans, and there's toasters galloping in a green field. There's robots <laughs> looking at the art with, like, binary code on it. Like, shit yeah, like that yeah, is yeah. so good. There's a lot of that in the movie. There's one more cutaway I want to get into, and then you guys can take it wherever. We need to wrap up soon. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're going on the hike, and they end up like they snap cut to them in a monsoon, and the dad yells, like, get to the bridge if you want to live, and you see the donkey rolling down the <laughs> river. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that whole that whole road trip montage was a lot of fun. There was a food poisoning gag in there. There was the yeah. monsoon donkey ride that you said. Um, it had that one factually inaccurate bit about the possums because they don't get rabies, but whatever. <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> e- Eagle Scout Lungarini over here. Yeah, for real. <laughs> Had to get that one dig in there. Um, one of my other, where they introduced the really badass robot and uh, she's like, destroy them. Yes, my queen. And the robots behind him go, what a suck up. Yes, my queen. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't yeah. tell you why, but I got a kick. I thought that was so funny. The delivery, I yeah, think. Yeah, that was a favorite here, too. That was funny. But then he also, those robots terrifyingly sliced them up in, like, five yeah. pieces. <laughs> it's like, oh, like it, was a, it was a great intro in that it was a great joke, but it also hammers home, like, oh, these robots are way more dangerous. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Um. All right, are we ready to start rapping here? Yeah, that was the last joke I wanted to bring up. 
Jake, final thoughts on the Mitchells versus the Machines. Yeah, I think it's worth the watch for pretty much anybody. I'm glad. I think a lot of this is, is Netflix's top 10 in the U.S. I think some of it is kind of BS, if I'm going to be honest. But if it's true, I'm glad that this is number two. I think it's worth the watch. And Netflix's top 10 is usually not very good, in my opinion. So whatever people are watching, you guys need to get better, I don't know, better opinions about things. But um, this is worth. This is a worthy one. I'm glad it's ranked number two when I watched it, at least. And it's for, it really is for all audiences. There's, like, everybody, like we said, everybody gets a good arc. The dad and the, the daughter's arc get, are really good. The mom and the son both get good screen time. Their neighbors, their dog, the AI. Like, all of it is really, really consistently good. It's funny. It's upbeat. It's creative. Basically, everything I've been saying already. It's it's worth the watch. I do kind of wish it got to theaters, though. I think it might have gotten more buzz if it went to theaters. But that being said, Netflix is obviously a great option. And, yeah, I'd say go see it. Nate? Yeah, uh, this is definitely one of those where we're we're all the same, but yeah, it seems like most critics are having the same problem that we are, where there's just not too much bad to say about this movie. It was a solid time. It was a funny time. It's a good problem to and, have. Yeah, exactly right. So go home with a smile on your face. Load up Netflix for the first time in forever. It's good to get something <laughs> that wasn't an HBO Max release on this pod. <laughs> and enjoy yourself. Uh, this is like a very gorgeously animated, very detailed. I love the way it moves. I love the way it's directed, the way it flows. I just think it, I just think it's a sweet, sweet movie um, and a really funny movie as well. I don't have a lot to say beyond that. I think it will be very much in the discussion for best animated feature. I think in my own brain, I have Raya and the Last Dragon a little bit ahead of it just because of the the stakes of that movie. And the gorgeous animation of that movie. Yeah. Uh, but it's tough because I could see I would be fine with either of them winning. And we obviously have an, a full slate still to come with Luca and Encanto and other animated movies. The boss baby back in business, of course. Um, but yeah, <laughs> the Mitchells versus the Machines. Probably not the last time we'll talk about it. Uh, and that will do it for this episode of the Middle Seeds podcast. Nate Lungarini, where can they find us on the internet? Alrighty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. Summer movie season is almost here. We've got big reviews coming around the corner very soon. Stick with us. You're definitely going to hear our thoughts on the latest Fast and Furious. You're going to hear our thoughts on Black Widow. We'll probably talk about Space Jam. I'm not going to make any more promises beyond that because who knows? Life is crazy. But <laughs> feel feel free to let us know if you want to hear about any specific movies, and we will try to get to them as we head into the official. I would say June is when the release schedule really starts to look relatively normal again with a lot of people vaxxed, a lot of people going back to theaters. It should be a really fun ride. Thanks for sticking with us through the quarantine. Thanks for sticking with us for the last few years. For Nate Lungarini, I almost said for Nate Hensler. For Nate Lungarini and Jake Hensler, <laughs> I'm Andrew Maybe Roche. someday if I'm lucky. Oh boy. Oh boy. Put <laughs> that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back soon. <laughs>